Well, uh, it's great to be back, like I said, and uh, this was probably the most restful uh, time that I've had in, I think, 18 years of ministry uh, that, this month, and it was just a wonderful time to be away, and um, thanks to our staff and everybody else who jumped in, we have you know, just great leaders and staff who are here to make that really seamless, so um, I hope that you felt cared for and all of that. I hope I don't feel completely unnecessary uh, as I come back, but nonetheless, it was a good time away. And there's a, a brief story in the Gospels that uh, I found myself meditating on over the month away as I was resting. It was really helpful, actually, in reorienting me in the balance that's necessary for a life of ministry. And honestly, I think a life of faith, you know, a life of listening and of stillness, right? And a life of receptivity. It's a story that can be helpful to all of us, I think, when we've yet to really grasp or maybe we've lost sight of how it works to follow Jesus, right? To receive Him into our lives. Lives that are, at least for most of us, they are anything but simple. Our lives are not simple. So you might imagine my surprise when I looked ahead at the lectionary readings for the first time last Sunday, and there they are, the same story. There they are, Mary and Martha, waiting for me. This is not, not just doing a preachery thing where this would be a great introduction, right? And et cetera. It actually happened. I, I marveled when I told Ashley. I said, I can't believe this. I've been meditating on this scripture, and now I get an opportunity to preach. So um, I'm really glad that it's our gospel reading today. Luke includes this specific story here as part of a larger theme. This is really important. Um, it may not be exactly chronological, like they went from there to there, but Luke makes a choice, an editorial choice, to include this story, and it's here to emphasize this theme that he's working on, and we find here in what we call the co-text, right? The other stories around it. The context is this specific home into which Jesus has come, but this co-text includes what Luke tells us happened shortly before. What's happened? Jesus has sent out 72 disciples ahead of him. They're traveling light, and they're to be received by the next villages that he is going to enter. He prepares them by telling them that some people are going to receive them. Great. They're going to extend hospitality. They're going to extend the support that they're going to need, traveling light. But some of these villages and some of these homes are not going to receive them at all. And what are they to do? They're to shake the dust from their feet and to move on. So after this journey, after they've gone out and ministered and come back, they come back rejoicing. They've, they've had these, these incredible stories of power and of great fruitfulness, effectiveness. And that's wonderful, Jesus says. It's wonderful. But what's even better, he makes sure that they understand what's even better is the simple fact that your names are written in heaven. They've done all of this work and all of this great ministry and the leadership of the Holy Spirit, but Jesus wants to make sure they understand that, that, that they don't forget that what really matters is that they are called and they are loved and that they belong. And that's a good thing to keep in mind as we move forward through this story. In between that mission that they're sent on and the story of Mary and Martha, Luke does include the parable of the Good Samaritan, which also fits with his theme. It defines what love of neighbor looks like, right? How genuine receptivity is actually costly. And you know what? It often defies man-made conventions. It often defies social boundaries for the sake of the heart of God, for compassion and for obedience. It's an unthinkable but essential hospitality for those who would obey God. And so Luke puts that there. And then we arrive in Bethany, this little village 
the hometown of Mary and Martha that's just two miles east of Jerusalem, near the Mount of Olives. It's probably one of those villages to which Jesus had already sent his disciples. And so now we're getting to zoom in to this home where they found some people of peace, as Jesus called them. And I need to say this right off the bat. We might be tempted, as we consider Mary and Martha, to oversimplify this story with a neat and tidy dichotomy, right? Saying that's the good one, and that's the bad one. This is what you do, and this is what you don't do. This is the foil of the story, Martha, and here's the hero of the story, Mary. In this dichotomy that we operate with often, you might imagine, right, that there's this really spiritual Mary who's just glistening, glowing in the presence of Jesus. Her hair is flowing smoothly to one side as she sits adoringly at his feet worshiping. Have you ever heard that kind of setup for Mary? That's, that's how she's often pre- been presented as this exemplar. I've heard that plenty of times in my, uh, myself, and I, I'm going to talk about Mary a little bit more in just a moment. But that's her piece sometimes in this dichotomy. And then there's the really unspiritual Martha, whose sweaty hair is slipping out of her braid. You know, her apron is smeared with food. Her limbs are in this frenzied motion as she's buzzing around and she's finding seats for people that that, that she doesn't even know. She's refilling their half-empty glasses. She's busy and she's bitter. Poor Martha, she just doesn't get it. Oh, blessed Mary, she's the one. Be Mary. Don't be Martha. That's how we reduce this story to just what I would call like a basic spiritual morality. It's tempting to do that, but it's not that simple. We love a good dichotomy, though, don't we, right? They help us manage the world in so-called black and white. We eat dichotomies for breakfast these days. We love to cut up the world in that way. Let's not do that to this story. If we make this story about that, and we make it an oversimplified lesson, I think we're going to miss everything that's here for us. It's, it's hard to listen with ancient Near Eastern ears because guess what? We're neither ancient nor Near Eastern, right? This is, but, I, but I want us to put those ears on a little bit to think about this. There's a lot that's here. Here's what I want you to consider at this point. Mary and Martha are both making choices. Jesus makes that clear. He says as much in verse 42, referring to Mary's choice. In his response to Martha's exasperated complaint in verses 40 and 41. And so we ask, why isn't Martha then choosing what Mary has chosen? Why didn't she do that in the first place? Why do we have this, this, these, these two different choices, these two women operating very differently and apparently with different expectations? It's actually pretty complicated. Let me ask you this. Did you happen to take an intro to psychology class or course or maybe read some psychology books in high school or college? Anybody? Yeah, you, okay. So if you did, there's a good chance you heard about the fundamental attribution error. Sounds complicated, super simple. What is it? Well, let me ask, have you ever assumed that someone made a choice because that's the kind of person they just are? That's a fundamental attribution error. Or that they made that choice for a reason that's clear because it's the reason that seems clearest to you. You assume that's why they did it. Basically, this error is an assumption about an individual's choice or action that ignores the story. It ignores the potential complex web of details and pressures affecting the person or the situation. It ignores the backstory. And we know the devil's in the details, right? 
But very often, often our, our reading of things and our judgment wants to narrow it down and oversimplify. The fundamental attribution error at its worst, it just says, well, that's the kind of person she is, and people like that do that because blah, blah, blah. It's neither wise nor fair, but it's common. We like it simple, don't we? The good people and the bad people. The spiritual people and the not-so-spiritual people. And we're looking for a reason for these choices and these things and how to understand people. But the truth is, there's not always a reason to be found, but there is a story. We look for a reason, but what we need to think about is the story. And the truth is, some of us even do this to ourselves when we, you know, the, we create this kind of dichotomy. You know, we, we sort our own selves with guilt and shame, and we relate to God in this way. I'll talk about that more in just a few minutes. But the truth is, we need help understanding the fuller picture of our own lives, of who we are, and why we do what we do, why we make the choices that we make. So here we are, we're, on the, we're, we're in this place of choices that have been made, and we want to ask, why is Martha, why might Martha be making the choice of busyness? And why is Jesus framing it that way, this way? What's leading her to frustration with Mary? It may be not so obvious. Let me ask you this, are you ready to empathize with Martha a little bit? Maybe you already do. I think we need to, to really let this wash over us. Well, first of all, verse 38 tells us that Martha is the one who invited Jesus into her home in Bethany. There's where it all began, I think, because it's Jesus, and she invited him. By this point in the gospel, Jesus is a huge deal in the regions of Judea and Galilee. He's a miracle worker already. He's got this growing reputation as a mind-blowing rabbi who speaks with authority. And he's rumored to be a prophet like Elijah. He might even be the Messiah, some are saying. So don't mess it up, Martha. Don't mess it up. Third thing. There were just some things that women in the ancient Near East did in such situations, especially the host. And Martha was doing exactly the things that such hosting women do. The only problem she can see is that her sister Mary was not doing what she was supposed to do, at least as far as she understood it. Now, before you react to what I just said uh, with modern sensibilities... Consider both the basic personal and cultural implications of that day. We might be like, well, you know, we might get inordinately focused on the fact that that's what she was supposed to do as a woman in that day. She probably wasn't thinking about it the same way that you might be thinking about it now. But think about the personal and cultural realities here. Mary's choice basically meant at least two things. Martha had to do more work. And that comes through in the reading, right? Because as we all know, housework is a zero-sum game. Right? It isn't always obvious to our teenagers, which I say, you know, and, and probably to any of us or me when I was a teenager, that if, I, if they don't do it, then I have to do it, or their mother has to do it, right? This is what it's like, like being a, a roommate or, you know, a, in a family. Zero sum. But not only that, culturally speaking, Mary is potentially inviting shame on herself and the whole family by not fulfilling her customary role. Martha would be understandably worried about this in that culture. And by this point in the story, she has no reason not to be concerned a little bit. 
Maybe Jesus doesn't realize, actually, that Mary is slacking. And maybe Jesus would want to know so that he, the guest of honor, can help the host family avoid losing face to the other guests. This was a big deal in an honor-shame society. Are we losing honor by what Mary is choosing to do? Better for Martha to just ask him, to point it out, right, to, the, than, to be, than even for Jesus to be accused of throwing away social conventions, because maybe the rumor has been that he does that, and Martha doesn't want that happening in her house right now. So she's protesting. She's worried and anxious about many things, not trivial things, not unimportant things, and you probably would be too. But Mary's not, and it's worth asking why. So pause, Martha, for a moment. Let's look to Mary. I think the details are important so that we don't, we don't over-spiritualize Mary, right, or over, even over-sentimentalize Mary. Basically, Luke tells us that she's just listening to what Jesus is saying. She's pulled up a chair, so to speak. She's learning. She may not have physically been right at his feet, it's a, you know, a term or a rabbinical phrase that means in itself learning. She was at the feet of the rabbi in some sense. But the truth is she's made a choice to do this instead of what Martha is doing. It makes sense that feeling the great anticipation for and the weight of Jesus' presence, she's wanting to listen in. Maybe she overheard a few things and, and, and she found herself thinking, I have to hear this. I have to hear all of this. I don't want to miss anything. And everything else just melted away, and the welcome of Jesus washes over her, and the welcome of Jesus is clear, even though it defies all the other stuff, all the custom, and even the expectation. And she can't see Martha in her periphery, because at this moment, the gospel has arrested her. We don't get a whole bunch of extra details, but we can imagine that this is how she found herself in that place. And when this happens, it doesn't matter when the gospel arrests you, it doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman, it doesn't matter where you are or what else is going on, Jesus is here. Nothing else matters because this story is really, really, really about what Jesus is doing for both Mary and Martha, not what they're doing for him. Whether bringing out more bread or taking a beat to listen to him. So, Let's first do away with the two-dimensional. We get two-dimensional, right? This motif that puts Mary a few rungs higher on the spiritual ladder than Martha, like as though they're just useful characters in a moral parable. What I'm, the, what, what I'm trying to do today is for you to see the flesh and blood that's here in the story. These are complex flesh and blood, enculturated people like us, real women in a real situation with a story of encounter that Luke finds particularly worthy of telling. So do away with the, that motif, that two-dimensional look at this. And next we need to see that though Mary and Martha have received Jesus in two very different ways, they're finding out, you ready for this? They're finding out that actually Jesus has become the host. He's become the host. He needs nothing from Martha. Though she is putting on, right, her most dizzying display of hospitality, a kind of receptivity as she understands it. But the truth is, Jesus has something for her. Mary's already caught on to it. When Jesus responds to Martha's indignant, complaining request for Mary to get up and to help me, he says, Martha, Martha. And that's not to be overlooked. 
Consider how beautiful it is that he calls her name twice like that. Even in itself, there's a compassion that's ringing through it. But, you know, there are only a couple of times in Scripture when we see the Lord say the name of someone twice. Do you know who they are? Abraham. Abraham. At the moment that he would have sacrificed Isaac, but was arrested and graciously stopped. Moses. Moses from the burning bush that would call him back to Egypt and remake him as a man who would give his life for the freedom of God's people. Saul, Saul, when the Christian killing apostle was arrested by grace, when he was redirected and renamed. These are powerful moments of God's intervention, of his grace and of his calling. On a human level, Jesus is calling Martha out of the pressure she feels, out of the stress of getting it right, and even beyond the social conventions that govern moments like this. Jesus is here. Because on a deeper level, he's inviting her into the same opportunity to which Mary has availed herself, right? To listen to. It would never have occurred to her, actually, that that's for her. But to invite her to the real urgency of the moment while Jesus is still with them on earth singular. It's something far better. It's the good portion. Sure, all the other stuff matters. It almost always does at some level, but not always, always. Not in a moment like this. When Jesus is setting a table and providing a portion. And we we can see here, Jesus does not explicitly invite Martha to join Mary, but his validation of Mary's choice, it is an invitation in itself, right? And it's not just to Martha here. It hangs out there for her and for us. It's the better portion that will not be taken away from her. It's the gift that will not be revoked. It cannot be. So you see what's happened, and I already mentioned it. Jesus is now the host. Jesus is now the host whose, whose portion is feeding the people the food and the drink that matters more than anything else in this moment. Jesus is the one providing the portion to eat. Martha, if she would really receive him and, and choose to put aside her anxious worry, uh, she gets to eat and drink too. It's radical. He's inviting Martha to be his guest. Well, all the while, she's thinking he is hers. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. So let's just bring it home. Bottom line is, we are all Martha. In this day and age especially. And when I say that, I mean we are all distracted with a busyness and an anxiousness and a worry of one kind or another most of the time. Maybe we don't sit and think about it or feel it too strongly, but our bodies are activated within it. And it catches up with us. Sure, we have our merry moments. But it's rare, often, for most of us who carry any sense of responsibility or concern or worry or fear or sense of obligation or fear of failure. It's, hard, it's, it's just harder for us to be able to do this consistently. And this is something I had to revisit quite acutely and intentionally in my time away. 
So even having received the gospel, friends, we kind of forget where we are in the midst of these two overlapping kingdoms where Jesus has provided everything we need for life and godliness. He's given us a portion, and we're in the midst of these two overlapping kingdoms, one transient and the other eternal, and we have a hard time remembering that Jesus is the host. And Jesus is always inviting us. So Martha's here in the story for you and me. Our distraction and our misunderstanding even our failure, these are the moments that we need to be full-on recognizing, full-on Martha on her way, on our way, through the human dilemma to the feet of Jesus. Truth is, we want and we, we need to be invited regularly. We need to be reminded, we need to be challenged to rethink the duty and the responsibility that we feel, the leadership, the burdens, the worries, the real-world stuff that, yes, needs attention, it needs doing, but no, it cannot define us and dictate our energies. These realities are not going away in life as we know it, but we can't let them obscure this gracious invitation to a better and a lasting reality that will not fail to guide us, even into the fog of the future. Divine grace and mercy where not even our sincere moral competence is enough to supplement what Christ has done for us on the cross, the portion that he has given us. Yes, Martha's story can even reach into that place where so many of us, we just can't, and I know this to be true of many of us at Village, we can't stop trying to prove to Jesus and others how great a host we are. No matter how much teaching on grace we get, and even how often the Holy Spirit reminds us. And so on some level, we're going to have to be willing to walk the walk of Martha back to the invitation of Jesus to hear our names again, to invite us to the feast that Jesus is hosting. In closing, I do wish that we could all be merry all the time. I really, really do. And that's our great desire and aspiration is to know and to have a rhythm to really listen and to sit and to be at the feet of Jesus, as it were, and to live that life and let it fill us and make our life out of that. But very few, if any of us, are. And it's good to just own that so that we know that our ears need to be open to the invitation and that our lives are in process. I read Eugene Peterson's biography, Burning in My Bones, when I was away, and it was both encouraging and sobering. All his life, this giant of Christian spirituality was a pastor for 30 years and a professor at you know, a, a wonderful seminary and, and school. He hoped that his interior life would match exterior perceptions of him, the kind of sainthood that he rightly longed for and we all long for. He hoped that his genuine desires, what's really going on inside him, would actually match his outward effort. And that's what he called congruence. It's what he longed for, hoping that he might eventually be the person that people thought he was. Or that maybe his performance in many different arenas of life sort of evidenced that he was, but he never felt that he arrived at that congruence. Do you feel that way? I do. Often. So what can we hope for if we can't be merry all the time? If we can't be dialed in all the time and congruent, let me tell you what at base we can hope for. 
we can hope for Jesus to remain the same and to continue to extend to us the invitation to offer us a life of unending invitation. And when we feel far from God, a life of holy confrontation that reminds us that he wants good for us even if we feel unable to choose it at any given moment. Because we aren't always good at choosing it. But Jesus is perfect at offering it. And he never stops doing that. He is faithful when we are not. And I'm putting all my chips in on that. And lastly, this story is happening at a table again. Don't miss it. The tables matter so much in the Gospels, don't they? The table is a place of disclosure where hearts are revealed. Tables are a place of fellowship and receptivity. By this point in our service, before we even come to that table, we've already said all of that. We're ready to have our hearts revealed. We're ready to be disclosed. We're ready for the kind of fellowship that we've been missing out on and maybe didn't know how much we needed. We're ready to receive again. Because after all, at the center of our focus and our fellowship and our worship together is this table to which Jesus has invited you and me again today. And that's where it begins. And friends, that's where it ends. I don't know how you feel today. Uh, you know, maybe you feel like Martha. Maybe you feel like you've been a pretty good Mary this week. But you know what? Although they're extended to us to consider the life to which Jesus is calling us, really we need to see Jesus in the story. We always do. We always do. Jesus is the host. You are invited. You are his guest, and the better portion, the good portion is available to us today, and it always will be. So Martha, Martha, Lift up your heart. Listen to the love and the story we're telling and take and eat. Jesus is the host. It's fantastic news. Do you believe it? Lord, help us to believe it. You know us better than we know ourselves. We pray that every bit of guilt and shame for the patterns we lived in, even well-meaning stuff where we were doing the job we thought we were supposed to do and ignored you. Lord, let it all fall away from us and help us to just come again to receive what you're giving. You are, are just an amazing host to us. We love you. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.